Welcome to the Buick Outdoors Podcast. I'm your host, Sheldon Marion, and on this podcast, we dive deep into the outdoors. We discuss hunting and fishing techniques, give you tips and tricks, tell stories, and everything in between to help you enjoy the outdoors. Do you want to become part of the Buick Outdoors team, represent one of the best Northern BC YouTube channels, and help us grow? If you do, then check out our brand new online store. We have a bunch of new merch set up and ready to sell. We have everything from hats, shirts, sweaters, cups, mugs, backpacks, pillows, and the list goes on. It's also made for men, women, children, toddlers, and we even have something for your pets. We have several designs to choose from and a bunch of different colors and sizes. Head over to shop.spreadshirt.ca slash Outdoors to check it out. That's shop.spreadshirt.ca slash Buick Outdoors and join the team today. Hey everyone, welcome back to another Buick Outdoors podcast. Uh, if you're new around here, I'm your host Sheldon Marion and uh, I really want to start this off with that new viral trend that's going around right now. Uh, if you get lost, they're saying that uh, a good practice to do is to change your voicemail. Uh, really guys, don't do that. That is just stupid doing that really to be honest with you uh if you are out in the woods and you get lost and you have phone service you're not doing any favors by changing your voicemail uh it's much better if you just call 911 directly <laughs> i i kind of laugh at it because i i really don't think uh something like like that should have to be said uh but for the amount of stuff that i've seen kind of circulating right now it's just it's phenomenal how much uh bad ideas are getting circulated around and uh just terrible advice really uh you know if if you're out in the woods and you're lost uh if you have phone service man you are in luck uh they're gonna find you right away especially if you have enough service to get a phone call out uh most likely You'll be able to go onto like Google Maps, hit find my location, and give those guys like a pinpoint exact latitude and longitude. Like it's, uh, yeah, you're not exactly lost these days if you have cell phone service. Uh, but yeah, guys, like please don't try to change your voicemail, especially if it's something like on a long weekend or something like that, and uh, you head out Friday after work nobody's gonna really start looking for you until like tuesday or wednesday when you haven't showed up to work for a few days by then there's a good chance you could be kind of half dead or whatever so uh yeah that voicemail thing don't do that please don't do that <laughs> uh some good advice for you uh is to tell a friend or family member or even your boss whoever you know roughly where you're going when you'll be back kind of a thing uh you know give it uh make sure to let them know like don't hit the panic button if you say you're gonna be back at five and at six thirty. you know wait wait till at least the next morning kind of a thing uh also too uh if you do happen to get lost just stay put stay where you are uh Try to be seen, have a 
signal ready to go, whether it is you start a fire and you have a bunch of spruce boughs ready for you, you have a bright jacket or something like that, if you hear a helicopter, you can wave it around, uh, buy survival equipment, whether it's just a simple survival kit off Amazon, it's a lot better than having absolutely nothing. Uh, also, just kind of use common sense, don't freak out, don't panic, uh, you know, the amount of uh, stuff that's kind of thrown at a person, uh, if you do become lost, it is phenomenal. I've been a part of a search and rescue operation once, and uh, yeah, if you want to get found, you're, you're going to get found. It's not, you know, a handful of people just kind of walking around in the woods, uh, you know, there's RCMP with the K9 unit. There's helicopters. There's infrared. There's guys with drones. There's foot patrols. There's side by side and ATV patrols. And there's patrols with vehicles. Uh, you get everything, including the kitchen sink, thrown at you because they do want to find you. You know. Uh, so if you are ever in that kind of a situation, just relax, sit back. Build yourself a nice little campfire and basically just see it as a weird vacation for a day or two and just kind of wait for search and rescue to find you. Uh, if you panic, if you run, if you try to find your own way out and you just keep getting further and further in the bush, you're really not helping anybody out at all. Uh, especially a lot of times during a search and rescue operation, they'll find where a person was and you can see that they had a fire they spent the night there or whatever, and then they continue to walk, and they're going in the wrong direction. Uh, so, you know, it's uh, it's definitely easier on yourself and on the search and rescuers uh, if you just kind of stay put, stay where you are, don't freak out. Uh, and then also the big thing is just let people know where you are. Uh, if you're going to be going to whatever park actually go there don't change your mind last minute if you do uh whoever it is that you talk to before leaving uh, you know get a hold of them make sure you tell them that hey you know what there was a change of plans and now instead of going here you're going to be going to this other spot just so there's no confusion uh especially if something does happen and you are reported missing uh instead of them searching where you are they'll be searching where you said you're going to be and it's going to be two complete opposite directions uh so yeah always have a plan uh bring survival gear with you uh make sure you have something to signal with bring fire starters maybe a little bit of extra water a little bit of food you know you don't have to go uh extraordinary like you don't need to bring 50 pounds of gear uh small little survival kit that you can buy that fits into your pocket um actually i got one of these little burner kits so i got uh liquid gas here it's just butane propane fuel i always have my little blue enamel cup and then uh unfortunately if you're just listening to this you're not watching this what i got it's a little orange case. It's about, uh, what is that, three inches tall, inch and a half wide by another inch. And inside this thing, if you open her up and pull her out, 
It's like a little pocket stove. This one here, you got it from Amazon, from E-Tech City. Uh, there's these little arms that fold out of it. You hook her up to your uh, little butane, propane uh, gas canister. And on this one too, you don't need matches or a lighter to start it. There's a little red button here on the side that you can push. And basically you just turn on the handle and you have fire. And that thing will crank the heat out. You know, these little things, they're buy that for 20 bucks off Amazon. The gas, you buy that from Walmart, Canyon Tire, Cabela's, Sportsman's Warehouse, wherever it is that you can you have camping supplies, really. And like this thing, for me, I haven't had to use it in like a survival type situation. But uh, I'll be out walking around or whatever and we'll have a cup of tea. Man, you can boil a cup of water with this thing in just a couple of minutes. And it doesn't go through all that much gas. And also, it's small enough where if you had to, I mean, you really could pack it in your pocket. But, yeah, it might kind of jab your leg a little bit. But this little thing, I just take it, put it in my cup, throw it in my bag with me, and put in a couple tea bags or whatever, a couple things of sugar, kind of a deal, and... Yeah, for me, that's just to enjoy a cup of tea while I'm out in the bush. But, yeah, if you were in an actual, you know, situation there, that thing, uh, yeah, that'd be a lifesaver, that one. Same thing with, like, having a, like, a multi-tool. I always have a Leatherman on me, or just a knife in general can help you out. Uh, you know, you're not going on some big seven-day extravagant, uh, backpacking trip, you know, it's, if you're going on a day hike, you really don't need all that much. Uh, some people, uh, some people really like those kind of in-reach and satellite uh, messaging devices and stuff. For me, I personally don't really like them. Uh, and it's not necessarily so you can get help. For me, it's the mentality that people get. Once they have that, uh, it it almost seems like if you're out in the bush and you're on your own, you kind of know that you are. So you do things a lot different. Uh, you know, you make sure you cut away from yourself. You watch where you're putting your feet. Uh, you're not running around like an idiot in the bush. You know, you're watching out for those little branches and stuff that you don't get one in the eye. Uh, and then it seems like when you have one of those in reach or something that you can get help right away people's comfort level uh gets weird uh, it's like they're camping next to a hospital or something uh it's almost like they don't have to pay as much attention uh and they don't have to uh you know they they kind of throw caution to the wind a little bit because they in their mind if they get hurt they have a way to get help and i don't like that you know, I would much rather uh, just be cautious, really. <laughs> For me, it's just kind of second nature because I've, I've grown up doing this kind of stuff. Uh, so for me, you know, even at the house, I'm always making sure I'm cutting away from me. I watch where I step. I don't do anything kind of 
anything stupid, really. I don't know how else you'd describe it if you guys listen to me a lot. Uh, yeah, you'll know that I don't really beat around the bush. I call spade a spade kind of thing. But, uh, yeah, those, I just don't like them. People, they, they get a little too reckless and a little too uh, comfortable doing something stupid. When they know that that they could potentially get hurt real bad. But because they have this thing in their pocket, they just have this kind of... I, I don't know. They can they kind of justify uh, doing uh, making bad decisions when they're when they're out in the woods, kind of thing, you know. And it's to me, it's not the right uh, not the right way to go. But uh, if you have them, they are good to have. Uh, just know that it's not a guaranteed thing that's gonna work. So please, like you you still have to be uh cautious of what you're doing and uh yeah don't make well try not to make any stupid mistakes mistakes do happen and also uh i don't know what it's like around other places but in bc all search and rescue efforts are 100 percent paid for so if you need help call for help get help uh it's not going to cost you a penny even though i can tell you there is a ton of money that goes into that stuff you know, when they bring in, like, uh, one of the helicopters, the one they used out here was a B-2 helicopter. They're about 1600 to $2,000 per hour. It's half-hour flight out here, half-hour flight home. And then while they're here, it's, like, about four hours of flying that they can do. Uh, you don't pay for a cent of that. It is all paid for by the government, by the province, whoever pays for it. Me and you, we don't pay for it. So if you need help, make sure you call for help. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, my rant about that. And just, you know, be careful out there. Uh, I had somebody ask me what I thought about the fur prices. And uh, kind of what my uh, predictions are for that. And I'll be honest with you, I haven't paid attention to fur prices for a couple of years. Uh, basically, a few years ago, things started to go downhill pretty quick. Uh, you know, all the anti-fur movements and stuff, they've really been coming in and pushing the market out. Uh, a lot of the Canadian companies like Canada Goose, they're no longer using coyote fur for the trim. They're going to be using fake stuff. Uh which is a terrible idea, you know, there's a lot of times where, you know, if you have real fur on something, uh, you're, you're really helping out the predator problems that we have, and then also, real fur will actually biodegrade, you take that jacket, throw it in the ditch, the fur will be gone within, you know, a couple years, or whatever, and the jacket will still be there, this fake fur stuff, it's made out of plastic, uh, you know, and it's, yeah, plastic doesn't exactly biodegrade all that much. <laughs> and it, the weird thing is, too, is a lot of people, when they're, uh, when they're anti-fur, they kind of seem to be a bit on the anti-oil side of things, too, but they still want their fake fur. Uh, so then it's, uh, it's kind of a catch-22 for them poor guys. You get rid of the fur, but then you bring out more oil-based products, but... Oh well, somebody's got to lose, eh? <laughs> uh, 
Uh, but yeah, with that, uh, that being said, the anti-fur people, they're really driving the markets down. Uh, mink farming, it gets a really bad rap. And to be honest with you, in my mind, it should. Uh, basically, you're raising mink up in cages. Uh, once they hit a year or whatever it is, uh, pretty well take them to slaughter, skin them, sell the fur off. And, uh, you know, it is a business, and it might be a business that, I don't know, it might need to happen. But for the most part, I think those mink farms and stuff, they should be uh, kind of like top-ups. You know, the main fur market should be wild fur, wild, sustainably caught fur. Uh, it's a natural resource. Uh, it's not really going anywhere. You're helping ecosystem out by trapping uh and then if there's ever a, a dip in the market or an increase in the market and you need extra fur that's when the the mink farms should be able to step in and just kind of you know top it up a little uh but for the most part i think wild fur should come first farm stuff should come second uh but unfortunately it's just kind of the other you know, it's, yeah, it's opposite. Farmed mink, it's a lot cheaper to produce. Uh, it's easier to produce. And it's more mass-produced kind of a thing, you know. Uh, one farmer can raise whatever, 100,000 mink, where one trapper might catch a dozen. So, uh, yeah, it brings down the fur prices. Uh to the point where the wild fur almost can't compete with it. But uh, that's kind of, that's not exactly my area of expertise. Never really has been. Uh, but then also with the fur now, uh, even, even like whatever, 10, 15, 20 years ago, the main driver of fur was uh, overseas markets. So you got like places in like Europe, uh, China, Russia, they're the main fur buyers. And now with COVID here and our interna international shipments and stuff like that being just in complete chaos, uh, I really don't see that getting any better. Uh, I know a couple years ago, things got real bad. Uh, and I'm not even really too sure why that was about six years ago where uh like even the beaver for if you sent your beaver to auction it might sell i think back then uh it was something like only 40 percent of the beaver pelts were actually getting sold and the ones that were getting sold were only selling for about eight dollars per pelt and uh when you're getting $8 for beaver, man, that is not worth it. You're better off just shooting them and leaving them float in the pond kind of a thing. Uh, which is sad because beaver, they annihilate so much uh, woodlands and they flood roads. And they cause just millions of dollars worth of damages every year. So uh, the beaver, they're, they're almost like coyotes and wolves and stuff where if you manage them, they are good to have around, but once there's too many of them, uh, 
then you almost have to kill him just to just to kill him really you have to have that uh manageable number and right now you know the predators are exploding beaver are exploding and it doesn't do any good for anybody uh even if you are a fur trapper uh you can go out uh like the amount of work it takes to actually trap a beaver skin it flesh it and get it ready uh for the fur auction it is enormous how much work goes into it uh for me i personally enjoy it but if you're trying to do it to make money it's not gonna happen uh unless you get a nuisance permit and you're on a nuisance job then absolutely that's the absolute best way to trap beavers because they're you're paid per tail not per hide and uh so really you go out where farmer joe has 20 beaver that keep flooding his road or whatever and it's washing the road out you go out there and you charge him 500 dollars per tail kind of a thing there you go you're making money that wouldn't be 500 bucks it might be 20 to 50 kind of a thing but uh yeah that's the only way you're really going to be making money off a of beaver uh the caster is not too bad i know when we were big into getting beaver we made way more money off of the beaver caster than we ever did on hides and that's when we were making like good money on the beaver hides i think we were averaging kind of 30 to 40 dollars per hide and when we were doing that we were taking my uncle's river boat we we're floating down the piece we fire it up we drive up the beaten uh and that's when we had the adjoining uh, trap line so the beaten river was on our trap line and we just take uh the afternoon and we'd shoot a bunch of beaver probably you know whatever 10 to 20 beaver kind of a thing bring them home skin them up board them dry them get them ready for the market and uh when you're shooting river beaver like that uh it's not top quality pelts whatever like whatsoever uh, a top quality pelt is one that you get a beaver in a pond and you get them with conibear and uh basically there's no bite marks there's no bullet holes it's nice prime pelts uh with us what we were doing uh the beaver on the river beaver are extremely territorial uh so when you're shooting them on a river uh they are completely riddled with little bite marks and holes and pus and uh, it's just it's it's gross the pelts aren't that nice there's holes kind of almost everywhere and so we're making you know pretty good money on bad hides uh but then the caster they uh hang those up and you dry them you send them in in a little bag and uh they pay you per pound kind of thing and i'm pretty sure we're making almost double what we were doing and even then when the pelts were like that kind of 30-ish dollars even then dad was saying you know this isn't worth our time for this 30 bucks and then when it went down to eight dollars i mean it definitely not worth your time and that was with uh just shooting beaver just floating down the river like it wasn't quote-unquote hard work like that was actually uh it was actually pretty enjoyable uh 
when you're actually trapping them, man, it is work. Uh, you have a big 330 bear trap. Those things are pretty dangerous on their own, too. Uh, I know a lot of guys, they like to use trap setters and safety latches and stuff with that. Uh, myself, I've never used a safety with them. Because once my hands are off of that trap and away from it, I don't want to go anywhere near that thing. It's one of the only things in the bush that will scare the shit out of me is a 330 bear that's set and ready to go. I don't want to be anywhere near that thing. <laughs> I've used them lots, but uh, you definitely have to respect them. Uh, if one of those went off on your arm, your your arm's broke. So then when you're doing the safety latches, uh, in BC anyways... Your trap has to be fully submerged underwater for it to be legal. And when you have the jaws set on a 330, you take a safety catch and you put it on top of the jaw, you let her go. Then that way if it sets off, the safety catches those jaws and doesn't completely close. Uh, the problem with that though is when you're trapping, especially for beaver, you have to submerge that trap underwater. And where beaver live usually not clean water you can you have about two inches that you can see after that it's just kind of brown murky muddy water you can't see nothing so you put your trap down in there you get it all set you get your guide stick set up and now you got to reach into that water find your trap find that safety pull the safety off and again you can't see what you're doing so for me i just held on to the top that way, if it does go off, it, you know, whatever, it'll push my fingers out of the way, but it won't actually catch me. And then that way, once my hands are off that trap, I don't got to touch it again. We're good to go. Trap set. <laughs> you hit the road running. But, uh, yeah, the amount of work that goes into that, uh, you have to pack your 330 in there or your, your big footholds. Again, with the footholds, you can't just use, like, a, number three soft catch you know you have to use like an mb 750 which is a wolf trap uh they're how big is that the jaw spread is about eight inches kind of a thing and that's just because the size of a beaver foot is so big like you can use a number three soft catch you can really use any foothold because it's a drowning set uh but the MB750 is like the go-to trap for that. Usually you want to get like a hind foot catch. And then when they step on that, they slide down the cable to where your anchor is. And then they can't swim back up and it drowns them. Uh, it's a very, very uh, effective way to trap them. But when you're doing that, you have a great big foothold trap. You have a bunch of cable. You have stakes. You have... Your anchor, typically it's like a bag of sand or big rock, cinder block, whatever that you toss actually out into the water. Uh, so when you're doing footholds, I mean, you have to do it either with like your side-by-side -side or a pickup and you're on the side of the road. Uh, you're not going to want to pack that stuff out because y your anchor has to be... Uh, heavy enough where a beaver isn't going to be able to swim back up with it because then it's not going to be a drowning set 
it's going to be a pissed off beaver in a foothold set <laughs> running around with a you know half a bag of sand dragon behind him kind of a thing uh so for that you know it's a lot of a lot of extra work goes into the footholds but they do work really well uh the conibears they're more for the remote sets but then again the 330 bear, you know those things are big like they are big traps are ah geez i don't know i'm just gonna kind of spitball numbers but probably about 20 inches wide 18 inches tall kind of a thing maybe 20 by 20 ish somewhere around there and uh you know if you have geez even half a dozen like six in a bag they they're so big and clumsy uh like you won't really be able to carry more than six if you do good on you you know uh so for that like you're making multiple trips into remote sites and then also if you do catch a beaver in one of those remote sites you know beaver are these short fat little things and they are surprisingly heavy if you catch one that's 15 pounds that's a juvenile uh those ones are pretty easy to pack out uh a full grown adult uh you know around here they're 20 to 30 pounds kind of a thing uh they are known to get 250 sometimes 60 pounds that's 60 that's that's a once in a blue moon kind of thing but it does happen uh one thing that a lot of people do if they're trapping in kind of remote areas uh they'll skin them out on the bank leave the leave the uh leave all the meat and all that stuff behind and they'll just roll up the uh the hide and bring that out with them uh but then when you're doing that if you're a speed skinner you can get it done within you know five to ten minutes uh if you're not you're gonna be there for like 15 to 30 minutes just kind of rough skinning a beaver out and uh yeah when you're trying to make a living with this or just even a hobby you know that is a ton of time to be spending uh out on the river banks or creek bank or pond wherever it is that you're at uh so it's extremely time consuming but uh yeah overall in general you know it's pretty hard to to do anything with with beavers these days and then just kind of the fur market in general uh even the martin they went from 110 120 dollars per pelt down to about 20 to 40 dollars i think they've rebounded a little bit here now uh but then like you almost just feel guilty for trapping them for 20 bucks uh you know it's because when you're trapping you don't eat any of the meat i mean beaver you can lynx you can uh squirrel but other than that you're just trapping them for their hides and man if if their hides aren't selling or they're selling for pennies i i don't know i have a pretty guilty conscience once you start doing that other than like coyotes and uh wolves bears you know things that actually need to be thinned out sure give her you know but uh yeah martin links weasels and stuff you know if you're not uh 
if you're not trapping them for a purpose, there's no reason to be trapping them. Uh, with us too, you know, it, it's kind of like trapping is slowly dying off. Uh, you know, my dad's in his 50s now, and he's quote-unquote the young guy in the industry, which is just crazy to think about that. If you're, uh, yeah, if you're in your 50s, you're young. You know, uh, there's not much, there's not very many kids that are into trapping these days. Uh, even me, when I was growing up, you know, I, I'm pretty sure I was the only one in the in the whole school that knew anything about trapping. And this is in a northern community, too. Uh, you know, we're not exactly all outdoorsmen and stuff, but there's a good population of them up here. And, uh, yeah, there, there just seems to be very little to no interest in it. Uh, you know, even just, like, the cost of starting out, if you want to buy a trap line, prepare to spend about $60,000 on a trap line. Uh, if there's no cabin, now with the increase in lumber prices and stuff, you know, a cabin's going to cost you, like, I don't know. Just kind of spitballing numbers, but like $20,000 isn't exactly a stretch. Uh, by the time you buy all your lumber, your wood stove, your chimney, your pipe, all your tin, paint, bed, cabinets, everything for it. You know, it's it's extremely expensive. And then also when you're trapping, you know, you're not downtown Fort St. John where if something breaks down it's like man eh, whatever you know I'll just call a tow truck you know you're way out in the middle of nowhere so you're gonna want good equipment so and to get good equipment again it comes with a bunch of money uh you know you don't want to buy an old 1990s Honda Quad that uh you know has a rough idle kind of thing <laughs> One of those uh, Facebook ad marketplace where it needs work or it's lady driven kind of a thing. You know, you're going to want something that's extremely reliable. And for the most part, that means pretty well almost brand new kind of a thing. Uh, so and if you want a brand new sled, you know, that's going to run you about $12,000 with everything said and done. Uh, your sleigh, that's going to be another few hundred dollars. You need good traps that are legal. Uh, and, like, if you're going to be running a trap line, you can't buy, you know, six traps and run a trap line. I mean, you can, but uh, to actually run it, you're... Oh, man. We we would run, like, up 100. You know, like, we have totes that are just stacked on top of each other. And we have just traps everywhere. But that's what you need in order to actually run a successful trap line. Uh, with us on our north line, uh, that was an 80-mile loop that we did on our snowmobiles. So 80 miles, you know, that is a ton of ground to cover. You're not going to do that with six or seven traps. You know, you need a lot. Uh, and then with that, you need trap boxes. Uh, there are other ways you can go about setting your traps if you're using conibears. 
Uh, you can run, use like the running pole set and stuff. Uh, but 90 some odd percent of the time, you're going to be running trap boxes. Those made out of plywood or plastic or milk jugs or not milk jugs, but milk crates I've seen. Uh, but again, it's just, it's stuff that's going to be costing you money. And now that a sheet of plywood is, uh, whatever, 50 bucks, you can get, I think three or four boxes out of that. You know, it's, that's a pile of money for, even if you do like two dozen traps, you know, it's just phenomenal how much money you got to spend. And then also you have to maintain all your stuff, uh, and that that can cost you quite a bit. Uh, I mean, it's just part of owning any type of machinery. So, I mean, it you can kind of work that into it, or you just kind of shrug it off, and, you know, it is what it is there. Uh, a big issue that we started having here recently is uh, kind of vandalism. Uh, we had issues out at mile 80. We had a cabin out there. Uh, somebody came in and actually burnt that one down. When we talked to police about that, uh, we were basically told, piss off. Uh, they started up a case number for us, and that was as far as their investigation went. Uh, and we only had that one for like, a couple of years, and somebody burnt it down. Uh, don't know why. Everything was up and legal. It wasn't forestry or anything like that. Just, I don't know. Somebody felt like lighting a fire that day, I guess. Uh, so we had a cabin burned down. Uh, we had a cabin way at the end of the 73 road. Uh, there was an operator out in that area that kept stealing from us. Uh, that guy was really stupid. It, there was him and his cross shift kind of a deal. So if something ever got stolen... Out there, nobody goes out there, especially in the winter. So it was basically one of two people that were uh, stealing from us. So that was a pretty easy one to figure out and to stop that. Uh, and then at our other line there that we had, these other two, we sold them and moved on. And then we had uh, we had our main line and uh, people started coming in there. Started wrecking stuff around the cabin, started breaking in, started stealing wood from us, solar fire pit, chairs, traps. Ah, you know, it's just, it got just stupid to the point where, like, you can't afford to continue trapping because the fur itself wouldn't pay even for the fuel for your sled, let alone for all your expenses, the fuel for your pickup and all that stuff. But then people kept coming in and stealing from us, wrecking stuff, burning down a cabin, you know, so it, uh, we decided to get out of it, just walk away, take it as a loss. Uh, it really sucks because growing up, trapping and spending the weekends out at the, the cabin and stuff, some of the best memories you'll ever make, uh, so when it was time to sell, you know, it, it was not an easy decision. Uh, but it was something that, uh, uh, 
basically it was something that almost needed to be done for us. Uh, it helped out dad a lot. You know, he paid off his boat. I'm pretty sure with that. Uh, so, I mean, one door closed, another one opened. Uh, it was great while it lasted. But it was time to move on. And uh, the guy that we sold it to, he was, you know, it was a dream come true for him. He was finally able to start his own, uh, I wouldn't say a trapping career, but he was finally able to uh, have his dream come true of owning a trap line, owning a cabin, and, uh, you know, it feels pretty good to be able to say that you have, you didn't really hand it to him, but, uh, you know, be able to kind of pass on the tradition or pass on pass on the torch kind of a thing, you know, it's pretty cool that uh, you see that they're out there, they're trapping it now, they're enjoying it, they're making their own memories like we did when I was growing up, kind of a thing, so, uh, yeah, it's nice to see that, uh, but with that, too, it kind of comes with, uh, you know, what I was raised for, uh, you know, the future that I had planned, uh, it almost seems to be, like, I was raised for a future that almost no longer exists. Uh, you know, like hunting, fishing, trapping. Uh, when I was a kid, that's what I lived for. That's what I dreamed about doing for a for a career. Somehow, I was thinking about you know maybe being a a guide in the fall for hunting, and then maybe a fishing guide, and then in the winter maybe spend my winters out on the trap line and just kind of dropping over the winter uh but now with everything kind of declining uh with piss poor management vandalism uh anti-hunting anti-trapping even some people with like anti-fishing which i don't understand at all the whole uh it's like catch and release all of a sudden that's a bad thing that you're catching a fish and <laughs> releasing them yeah whatever but uh you know it's kind of a kind of an unfortunate uh area that we're in here now uh you know uh growing up always had in my mindset you know this is what i'm going to be doing uh i had no idea you know it would come to kind of like this doing a podcast or youtube kind of thing this has just happened to come along kind of a deal i didn't really plan for this but, uh, you know, the future that I had planned out for myself, uh, you know, my dad, he always told us, like, when we were growing up, like, you need to have some sort of a plan, a purpose. You know, he was always driving us to think about our future, set up RSPs and stuff like that. And uh, so when I was young, I had this plan kind of put in place already. You know, like, I was going to graduate go straight into like a guide job uh once that was done maybe spend the winter at the trap line in the spring look for another job either guiding spring bears for a few months and then getting into a fishing guiding outfit until fall and then go back and uh, guide big game animals kind of a thing uh but then now as you grow up you're kind of seeing the the direction everything's going in uh you know 
that type of lifestyle, it's not exactly out of your hands or out of reach kind of a thing, but uh, it's hard to imagine being able, being able to do that now, especially with, uh, there's, everything's just kind of slowly slipping away kind of thing. Uh, around here, our moose and deer population is down, predator population is skyrocketing. Uh, you have a lot of anti-hunting now. You have a lot of hunting pressure. Uh, the wildlife management is just non-existent. I've said that a lot in the past. Uh, the trapping industry is it's not quite dead, but it's on the verge. Uh, even the fishing is down. You know, we got... Uh, whether it's from climate change and warmer waters and stuff... Uh, that does affect a lot of stuff, uh, but there's also overfishing. There's some groups of people uh, that don't listen to any regulation whatsoever, uh, especially around here. There's a couple of different groups where, you know, they'll go and they'll catch fish by the bucket loads, and when they get caught, they just, eh, whatever pay the fine, do whatever, or they send their kids in, and the kids do all the fishing, and, uh, yeah, they just load up into the truck or the van or whatever, drive back home, and they just, they don't really care. Uh, so you got overfishing, uh, very little to no management, and, you know, warmer waters making uh, the fish population decline uh, by quite a bit. And then that's just like on the rivers and stuff around here in the lakes. Uh, it seems like kind of the funding and stuff isn't quite there anymore either. Uh, you know, it's just, it's a lot of negative stuff that's going on right now. And I really don't know uh, how they're exactly going to fix it other than, you know, I mean, they could start by getting their head out of their ass kind of a thing. And uh, maybe talking to more outdoorsmen. Uh, but you know it I'm just repeating myself over and over you know they need to talk to the outdoorsmen and the woodsmen that actually care about the outdoors they care about the wildlife not just the people that want to go out there and you know see that you can catch five trout you know knock that down to two uh you can uh, people just don't self regulate and again, broken record. And I really want to quit talking about it because it's really not going anywhere. And unfortunately, that's just kind of what happens. Uh, you can talk all you want, but until there's action, nothing's going to happen. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, you know, one good thing is that there is more and more uh, newcomers. Uh, but with that, there's also a lot more mistakes. Uh, I don't know if they their emotions just get the best of them, but it seems like there's a little more poaching these days than what there used to be, or it might be just from people getting desperate, or whatever. Who knows what the case is? Uh, sometimes you know mistakes do happen. Other times it's just pure ignorance. Uh, you know, the 
the poaching issues too. It seems like a lot of it is just kind of pure ignorance. Uh, you know, whether somebody's trespassing on private property, they shoot a deer or an elk, moose, whatever. Farmer Joe comes out and says, hey, what the hell are you doing out here? And they just pack up, run, hightail it out of there. They leave the animal dead in the guy's field. Or people don't quite realize uh, that, you know, moose is closed in an area for two weeks. Or they don't quite understand how to count the points. So when they shoot something, they go up to it. Buddy says, hey, you know what, that's not legal. And they panic and they freak out, whatever, and they run away. You know, mistakes do happen. But uh, with all these newcomers, you know, you really got to educate yourself. Read the regulations. If you don't know... Uh, you know, make sure you ask for help. Uh, one problem that I've been seeing a lot, though, is uh, with a lot of, like, these kind of Facebook groups and stuff, uh, people won't look at the regulations whatsoever. They just go on and say, hey, how many deer can I shoot in Region 7B in the North Peace region? And somebody from wherever, just trying to get a laugh, will say, oh, don't worry, you can shoot seven. So when Buddy goes out and <laughs> shoots three or four, thinking, oh, yeah, no, I somebody on the internet there said I can do this, so it must be legal. And turns out, oh, crap, you can only shoot one. <laughs> so make sure you're not just getting uh, your info from somebody online. You know, actually do your part and, uh, you know, look it up. Give your head a shake. Read regulations. Get familiar with regulations. Uh, if you do screw up, you know, just own up to it. Everybody messes up. Uh, we're humans, right? Uh, really, if you if you never make a mistake, you're you're not trying. To be honest with you, you know, it, it's one of those unfortunate things where if you do something enough, uh, a mistake is going to get made, whether you're hunting or working as a chef eventually you're gonna cut your finger right uh but just kind of you know use your head read your regulations uh get familiar with the area that you're hunting in uh get a mentor uh a hunting mentor or a fishing mentor you know it can they might not tell you everything that they know but they'll let you They'll let you in on a few secrets anyways. Uh, but then also, when you're first starting out, uh, you know, don't get overwhelmed with all the choices of equipment and stuff that you uh, you can get. Uh, man, I don't know how many times I've seen somebody out, they're wearing a full Kuyu setup. They have a Seiko rifle, Swarovski scope. Swarovski binoculars, and it's like, wow, that guy, he has like $10,000 or more that he's packing right now, and you ask him how long he's been hunting for, and it's this is his first year hunting, and Buddy just said, yeah, this is the gear that you need. You don't need to do that. Uh, you know, I am a hunting fanatic. I still wear camo that I buy at Canadian Tire or Walmart, or that's on the clearance section at Backcountry. <laughs> the, 
my main rifle that I use right now is a Browning AB3. Uh, it's their cheap version. Uh, you know, it's not a Browning Expo. I didn't buy a $1,500 rifle. I bought a $600 rifle. Uh, my scopes, Leupold Free, uh, Freedom. They're $300. They used to be Leupold Rifleman. Now they kind of change up the name, whatever. Uh, Bushnell make good binoculars. Uh, they make good scopes now, too. Uh, you know, when I was a kid, Bushnell wasn't that great. But now they're up there with the almost with the top name brands kind of thing. You know, you you can't go wrong with, like, a Vortex, Leupold, Bushnell. You, know, you don't need a $3,000 scope. Uh, yeah, sure, the glass is going to be a little bit more clear. You might get a little bit more light in when it comes uh, to, like, just before dark kind of a thing. But, you know, really, if you have... A Bushnell Elite or Leupold Freedom, uh, Vortex Crossfire, whatever. If you have that on top of like a Savage Axis or Browning AB3 or a Ruger American, you are going to be perfectly fine with what you're hunting. You're not making a thousand yard shots. You don't need, you know, a fancy custom rifle you don't need Swarovski glass like you know just keep things simple and enjoyable same thing with like your camouflage really I think camo is one of those things where it does work but 80% of it is marketing uh, I can buy a whatever I can go down to the thrift store find an old beat up worn out camouflage jacket for three dollars put it on and still shoot a deer with my bow at 30 yards same thing that you would do if you went out and spent five hundred dollars on one kuyu jacket you know what i mean so like you you don't need to be stressing out about your gear uh just get what's available and get what is affordable uh you know Keep it simple. <laughs> I don't know how else to really describe it. Other than that, just, you know, uh, you know, Savage Arms, Ruger, Weatherby, Browning, Tika, anything, any of those guns are perfectly fine with Weatherby. Just get a Weatherby Vanguard. They're a bit more money now. They're about a thousand bucks. But you don't need a Weatherby Mark V. You know, you don't need to spend $2,600 on a rifle to shoot a deer at 100 yards. You know, back in the day, you went to Sears, bought a Winchester 3030, and you shot everything with that. And that was with open sights, lever action, held five rounds. <laughs> it puts meat on the table. And really, all of your shots are going to be 100 to maybe 300 yards like even that 300 yards that's pushing it like you really don't need to be taking 300 yard shots so you don't need the latest and greatest in barrel technology you don't need the latest and greatest range finder hell you don't need a range finder at all you need a half decent set of binoculars the ones that i use are just bushnell 
I think they're 10 by 52. And they're, honestly, they're like 80 some odd dollars. They're not even in like the binocular section. They're hanging up on one of the side walls that are between aisles kind of a thing. And they work phenomenal. But that's because I keep things simple and I keep things extremely affordable. Could I pull up my Visa and buy a set of Swarovski or the top of the line Leupolds? Absolutely. But I have no reason to. You know, the cheap $80 Bushnells that I use, they work perfectly fine. I can see the deer, elk, moose, bear, whatever. I can see them at 600 yards with it. I, I don't need anything more than that. Uh, before I bought these ones, uh, I used the Bushnell. Uh, well, those ones were 10 by 52 as well, and they were like the Perma Focus ones. I bought those at Walmart. I think they were like 60 bucks. You know, so like, you really don't need to spend an arm and a leg uh, when you're. I mean, if you want to buy something just to have a nice rifle or a nice scope, absolutely sure, you can upgrade. Uh, but when you're first starting out and stuff, man, you don't need that stuff. Heck, look at what a lot of old-timers use. They still have their old, whatever, Remington 700 that they bought in the 60s and 70s, and they still have the loophole fixed four-power scope on there. You know, the gun and scope or whatever. 40, 50 years old and still works just as good as a, whatever, Browning Expo. <laughs> but, you know, you don't need to go crazy and and uh, remortgage the house just to get into hunting and stuff. Uh, you know, you, uh, you're just going to go broke and... Uh, I mean, you'll look cool, I guess, but that's about it. <laughs> but anyways, guys, uh, I think I'm going to cut her there. Uh, thank you for tuning into this. Uh, if you're just listening to this, uh, we have the video version up on YouTube. Uh, go check us out over there, and while you're there, make sure you subscribe to the channel. Uh, like the video, give us a comment or two, and then also if you're watching this on YouTube and you got things to do, you're busy busy people right you got to go uptown or whatever you can find this on all major podcast platforms iHeartRadio, spotify google amazon uh whatever other ones there are but anyways yeah give that a check check it out over there uh maybe leave us a rating or two uh i don't know if that really helps us or not but i mean it can't do uh can't do us any harm, I guess. Anyways, guys, thank you for watching. Uh, thank you for listening. Again, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. And we'll catch you on the next one.